But I love what Fulton Sheen said. He said, the biggest fear in the world is the fear of dying. And he said, you know what, you know how to deal with it? Practice for it. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. This is Mike Gomer Gormley coming at you with my homeboy, Dave Brood for the Night Van Vickle. How you doing, Dave? I'm, I'm okay. But I mean, what is even that supposed to mean? Is it well, like... Because I have to come decaf, up with a nickname every it, time, and I'm looking yeah. around my office, and there is a Bud Light Platinum bottle on my desk that says Brood for the Night. So I panicked. I panicked. I didn't know what do to you do. Know, do you want to know what's on my desk right now? Uh, so exercise water, a giant St. Benedict medal, and a relic. So there goes the difference between our two lives. You yeah, that's me? it. That's it. Mine is just audio equipment and uh, <laughs> and a beer bottle opener. <laughs> a bottle of beer. Not that I'm drinking it. It's just that I haven't thrown it away. All right. But besides my evening proclivities, we have a special guest today, Dave. Jeff Cavins. That is yeah. right. The platinum man himself. How you doing today, Jeff? Very good. It's good to be back with you guys. Yeah, this yeah. is fun. This is fun. This should be a reoccurring uh, interview. Just oh, reoccurring. I know. It, sh- it should be. I think the last time we got together was right, uh, it was before COVID, to be sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is crazy. When Activated Disciple came out. Uh, oh, yeah. that was a while ago. Yeah. Well, I, mi- I miss talking to you. Yeah. My son, who's 10, still, every time I use our Keurig, he says, Dad, are you brewing a cup of Keurigma? And I. Oh, that's so funny. And I oh, think that's so funny. Thanks, you know what's so, I'll tell you what's so funny. That I get every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's so funny is I just spoke at Napa Institute uh, a couple months yeah. ago, and I spoke about sharing the charisma, the proclamation of the gospel there. And uh, I was done talking, and I, I I went and I did the whole charisma thing, you know, the cup of charisma, and I had that whole room chanting one side charisma. Keurig. At the Napa Ma. Institute. That's awesome. At the <laughs> Napa Institute. I got off the sta- off the, the platform there and was it uh, well either Bush or I can't remember which guy. He he pulls me over and says, Do you know who's in the audience? And I said, No. He said, The guy who invented the Keurig machines out there. He <laughs> no what that's awesome. And I, he bought Green Mountain Coffee. And I'm like, um, what? And so I ended up meeting him. And sure enough, and I talked to him. And I said, what was that like to hear the whole room chanting, curing? <laughs> and he said, it was a delight. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> that is insane. Only yeah, to that's you. That's a cool story. Right. Only to you, Jeff, did something uh, like that happen. I love that. Oh, man. I, hopefully one day the Bud Light Platinum guy will be hanging out with me. And No? No, Dave? Dave's saying no. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> when I say bud, you say with Jesus. No, that doesn't work. Uh, so um, one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show is to catch up with all the stuff that you're doing in your life right now. The things, um, you know, obviously you've been uh, a partner with Ascension um, for so long that you've you've created a content that is so powerful and has changed the lives of a lot of parishes. My mom is walking. um She's the only Catholic, and she's walking a group of Protestant women in our neighborhood through. They just finished the Bible timeline together, and they, so mm-hmm. they did all, that in a whole year. And then um, they're moving on to um, the Gospel of Matthew. I told my mom, I was like, "You got a year, go to Matthew." And so they've been doing that. I mean, it's it's something that I did when I was in high school. Your very earliest form of it, not to make anyone feel old or anything, but uh, <laughs> when I was in high school doing that. <laughs> 
And it's just been so powerful. So when we had you on the show, one of the things that stood out to me was your absolute, and me and Dave have actually brought you up many times in this uh, show, yeah. is your dedication to evangelization in what mm. you do, in like everything, in your family, in your life, how you become, uh, you know, what an ultra learner about specific things so that you can have conversations with people right. in, in entirely secular environments. And how that changes things. And so uh, I think my favorite story is how you learned how to make, what was it? Like, oh, man, I can't remember. It was like crawfish or something. And then you went down to the uh, uh, cook-off in Louisiana or something like that. That's and you right. met a yeah. chef and you started corresponding. You're like, you ever heard of this and that diet and all this? What was that story again? Yeah, you t Are you talking about Chef John Falls? I, I think so. I think he's, so. The, he's the world-famous chef down there. He's like chef and he is in the guinness book of world records for the largest cup of gumbo largest bowl of gumbo <laughs> in the world and you can go online and look at that it's quite the deal well, anyway we became really good friends uh, he went to israel with with my wife and myself mm. uh probably uh, 10 years ago and we struck up a uh, really a good friendship there and then i started talking gumbo smack and i cha i challenged him to a gumbo off <laughs> and um, and so we had at his studio in Baton Rouge a uh, gumbo off, and I am very happy to tell you I won. <laughs> I beat Chef John Falls in a gumbo off, and I got it on video. I actually have it on video. Nice. Him nice. tasting it and saying, this is good. Nice. Well, that's cool. But then he said, it's good only because... It has Louisiana shrimp in it and and dewy. Mm. <laughs> all right, all right. Mm. Yeah, there you go. But the, the, <laughs> it's just incredible in terms of um, I don't know. You, you're you you are dedicated. You are man given over to our Lord, right? And we were talking a little bit about the show. Um, can you tell us? I, I love the, what you were just sharing. You about your morning routine with your wife. I think that is so. Yeah. Uh, it's such a beautiful testament. Well, yeah, we we uh, you know when we we got married forty four years ago. Uh, and this coming June will be 45 years that we've been married. We, we actually were actually, it's not a joke. We were mar married very young. You know, we were 20 and 19 years old when we got, mm. when we got married. So I'll go ahead and do the math. I'm 41. But, <laughs> but, uh, when we, when we got married, we literally, we literally sat down and talked to each other and verbalized that we were getting married to serve God together. Yeah, that's why we were going to get married. It was to, you know, serve serve God together, and so that's what we've been doing all these years. And we we we've we've always spent a lot of time with each other, and so we have a routine every day that it just doesn't vary. You know, um, we get up in the morning. I get up probably I don't know about six or so, five thirty six, and I go downstairs and I make tea. We drink green tea. We're kind of tea snobs. So I make some really great Japanese green tea and I get that ready. And then about 10, 15 minutes, 10 minutes later, she comes walking downstairs and she sits down. I, I put the tea out there and uh, the first few minutes are just kind of quiet, you know, looking out the window and <laughs> kind of waking up. And, yeah. and then uh, I go over and get the Bibles and put them in, down on the table. And uh, we do the readings for the day. And then we do Lexio Divina and um, pray about it and talk to each other about how this uh, would affect our life and uh, our children and our grandchildren and, and just meditate on that and, uh, and, then, and then talk. And so this is, it takes about, about an easy hour and a half every every morning sometimes it's two hours but about an hour and a half every morning where we just spend time with together and that's how we start off our 
our day because we really do believe that the shape of your day is influenced by the love of your life, you know, and if you are in love, that then the shape of your day changes. And if you are in love with Jesus, the shape of your day changes as well. And that that's what sets the stage, you know, for the whole day, the, your agenda. And so when you leave there and you go out into the world, you're constantly looking for opportunities to share Christ with people uh, or to strike up a conversation and get to know people. Yeah. You might not say anything necessarily the first time you meet them, but it's this is what we are about. And, you know, when I got serious about the Lord when I was 18, I understood that he said to go out into the whole world and proclaim him and tell people about him. So I just, I just assumed he was serious, you know, <laughs> and uh, went about doing it. And, uh, and I love teaching people how to do it. You know, we've had a school of discipleship in the Twin Cities now, and, and I think we're up to around 6,000 people have gone through it. And we're teaching them how to, sh how to, how to share the gospel with people. And um, my show coming out this, I'm not sure when you guys are going to be running your show, but my show, one of my shows coming up, 288 and 289, is uh, two episodes on the Catholic Swiss Army knife that I've invented. Okay. And, and the blade, of course, is the sword of the spirit, but the can opener is the ability to open up a conversation. Nice. And you can, you just take that with you everywhere, you know, and someone says, well, how do you open up a conversation? Well, how do you open up a can? You just, you just start, mm -hmm. you know, you ask someone a question, how are you doing today? Right, right. And uh, you wouldn't have, you would never have any problem starting up a conversation about how the Vikings beat the Packers this last week. Right. Yeah, right. But, you know, but see, people seem to become really blocked when it comes to telling people about the most important thing in their life. Do you think that's because it's the most important? Like the, you know, who the Packers beat or in reality, who beat the Packers is, uh, a, <laughs> I say that jokingly because I know nothing about football, um, is like there's nothing threatening about it. There's nothing life altering unless someone is a truly diehard Packers fan and you're not. But like, do you think like, you know, we, we, uh, I, I have found myself being sometimes hesitant because I'm like, well, if I weigh into this, it's not just what they did, la what they watched on TV on Sunday, you know, for football, it's, this might involve me having to deal with the mess of their broken marriage. You know, like there's so much attached to giving your life to the Lord. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, well, I think there's a number of things that, uh, that we got wrong in terms of our preconceived notions of what, what it means to share Jesus with, with somebody, right. uh, people, uh, have a tendency to think that, well, if I, if I'm going to bring this subject up, I better very well know everything about the subject because <laughs> right. after all, they could ask me a question and, and right. I wouldn't want to look like a fool. Oh, and that's one thing. Another thing is that people think that it's, uh, who are you to get into people's space, yeah. you know, in their, in their life. And that doesn't, that excuse can be blown out of the water too. And the, I mean, there's other fun excuses that people use, like, uh, it's not my gift, you know? Yeah. And I, I like I like that one because I use that one during the offering and during mass. Um, yeah, when, right. <laughs> when the when the basket comes around, I usually just lift it up and say to the people around me, "I think you all understand this isn't my gift." Is there anybody around? Oh, there you are, Frank. You know, Frank's got a lot of money. He's so, gifted. <laughs> he's very gifted. I am not, so you don't even need to go down this uh, pew anymore. You, you have know, my so, time and talent. I'm not gifted you, in the treasure department. <laughs> well, people, you know, they think seem to 
to think that if I'm going to be a part of the, the kingdom of God, it's all going to be in my wheelhouse and I'm going to be so proficient at yeah. anything I do. When the truth is, he came and died for you because you were woefully pathetic. You, you, didn't, you didn't have it. You, yeah. you, you were in such need. And so everything that Jesus asks us to do in our life is out of our uh, wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, I think I, I love that. And I think like a big issue for me, it's funny because like when I first like gave my life to the Lord when I was 14, I had no problem like evangelizing like with homeless people or people like on the margins or anything like that because I thought like, well, what 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 is there to lose? Like I, I, w I wouldn't be necessarily embarrassed. We weren't in the same social circles or things like that. And then when I tried like with my friends, it was like then all of a sudden it was that like I seized up a little bit and had this idea of like, well, if I'm not successful, I lose them. And this mm. kind of this success mm. idea, I think, is another big like stumbling block for people that we feel like we have to be successful. And that I mean, that's not really there. I mean, that's not really a part of it. I want to be successful, but I want to follow Jesus more than anything. And if that means I make a mistake, I make a mistake, I guess, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful, it's, I think one of the most beautiful things is an authentic, an authentic Christian who takes uh, an interest in other people, Yeah. you know, and you don't have to be particularly skilled at um, communication to do it. You know, you can be standing in line at a Starbucks and you can overhear the person ahead of you saying to the, uh, what do they call those people that make the coffee? It's a fancy name. Barista. Yeah, barista. I, I, oh, I wanted to sound like I knew what I was talking about. Uh. Um, so yeah, the person that, that baristas you, they, <laughs> the you, you, you know, they're talking to, they're talking to them and they're saying, yeah, you know, my, yeah, my husband had a heart attack two days ago. I'm on the way to the hospital right now. You overheard that. Now, what in the world is wrong with saying, excuse me, I, I couldn't help but hear that your husband had a heart attack. Uh, yeah, he did. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I'd love to pray for him today. I'm a Christian. Could I do that? Would you mind if I pray for him today? Oh, I love, thank you so much. That's so nice of you. What, what's your husband's name? His name's Gary. You got it. I'm going to do that today. What in the world is so hard about that? Nothing. You know, yeah. I mean, give me a royal break. Right. God just opens the door and we just continually ignore the open door. Then, And all we had to do is express a little bit of concern and love. You know, we don't, you don't have to ask her, can I pray for your husband in Latin? Right. You know, okay. Just communicate, you know? Yeah. And I think that when people start to do that more and more, they find out, at least we're hearing this from our school of discipleship at the, uh, at the seminary in St. Paul, people are saying, this is so easy. I never knew this was so easy. I can't even shut my mouth anymore. I'm constantly talking to people mm. about what God has done in my life and, and uh, the joy he has given me and the purpose in my life. And, uh, and that leads to deeper things like uh, my ability to forgive or to yeah. uh, let go of the pain in my life. And I, I no longer am uh, interested in, in just the end of the day drink. Yeah. You no. Know? Yeah. I mean, all of this stuff is is good. Yeah. And people that are have broken lives, they love hearing success and joy mm -hmm. in life. And that's like Peter said, be willing, you know, and able to give uh, an answer for the hope that's within you, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, and the hope that's within us isn't necessarily a a, a well articulated theological tract. You know, not it's it's Jesus Christ, right? And no, can, not, yeah, not at all. If you say, uh, "How how was Paul McCartney at the concert last night?" Unreal. Right. <laughs> that's that, that was it. You don't say, "Well, uh, are you talking about the his musical skill? Are you talking okay. about his presence on stage?" Or, it was yeah. unreal. Hey, I heard your husband had a heart attack last night. Here's a pamphlet on transubstantiation. Why don't you <laughs> yeah. get your theology together, David? Yeah, yeah. Gregory the Great once said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, Gregory who? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's being real with people. And, and people have to remember that when it comes to evangelization, I don't have a personal relationship with theology. I have a personal mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and when I share the Lord with people, which I would argue that you should be able to share Christ with anybody, any day, any time. Uh, you are you're dealing with a relationship. That's what you're yeah. talking about. And if you have that relationship, uh, there's so many ways that you can bring that up in a conversation. You know, someone says, "Man, I'm so sick of I'm sick of sick and sick and sick of this COVID." You know, and all of the things that are going on with that. All I got to say is, man, I don't know how anybody lives through all of all of this without without the Lord. Yeah. And just let yeah. it sit there. Let it hang in the air for a second, you know? Mm-hmm. And someone may say, yeah, I mean, yeah, I hear you. And they may ask you a question. It could go in a lot of different ways. But the key is asking questions. How are you doing today? Yeah. Really? Really? How are the kids? So, well, so you're... You're doing the the propedeutic year for the seminarians up in, mm-hmm. uh, up in your area. What, what does that look like? Is that the school of discipleship? Is that something separate? Yeah, the Holy Father has asked that seminaries would start this propedeutic year, which is really a year of preparation before they get into seminary. Mm-hmm. Some, some of these guys have not been in seminary. Some have done their pre-theology, which is philosophy. And uh, they need some time to either discern more or to work through things in their life, you know, that, yeah. that they should work through. And so last year was the first year where we had 16 guys that lived in a house in St. Paul uh, for a year in community, no, no computers, no phones. I wouldn't awesome. call that living, but go on. This is awesome. <laughs> no, no computers, no homes, nice. or no homes, no phones. Nope. And, um, and they live in community. And so when they come together, they start their day off in prayer and then there's four of us as teachers. There's uh, I teach I teach discipleship in the fall. The entire semester's discipleship, and then in the after Christmas it's uh, scripture. I teach him the entire Bible, hmm. and then we have another a guy who teaches um, a human formation, hmm. and we also have a a professional psychologist who is really powerful, Paul Ruff, and he works with them one on one and teaches about your mind and your emotions and where are you at? And then we have Father John Vanderplug, who uh, he's a companion of Christ, and he teaches about the saints in the theology. So the four of us come together and, and we, uh, we teach in the mornings. Then in the afternoons, there's a service that they're involved in. They have to be involved in the catechetical institute. They have to be involved in some kind of outreach like a school or a church. And so there's a, there's a structure to their entire uh, day. And then like last year, out of the 16 guys, uh, two discerned out, I think. And then um, 
I think one left and they, we, so we had 13 guys that are now in seminary. Yeah. And this year we have 16 more. Wow. This is, this is fantastic. Wow. I, I love this idea. I, this last year I did a bunch of priest convocations and a bunch of like seminary and days of recollection. And I, I can't tell you how many times like rectors of seminaries would like pull me aside and say, the biggest problem we're dealing with right now is, is screens, whether that be pornography or, or just addiction to media, you know, to being connected and that kind of thing. Uh, this is really awesome to hear that this is happening up in Minnesota and uh, that's exciting. And then combining the school of discipleship and everything, that's, that is awesome. Yeah. There's, I'll tell you what, there's something happening in this, uh, the seminary uh, here last year, I brought up father Josh Johnson from Baton yeah. Rouge and he, uh, he came up and he spoke to the Propa dudes and he, he was really impressed with them. And we've had other priests come by too. And they really impressed with these, with these guys. And now I have, I teach, uh, I'm teaching scripture at the seminary and two of my Propa dudes from last year are in my scripture class this year. So I'm developing a relationship with them as, as well. And uh, in the propedeutic year, I'll, I'll have all of them come on over to our family cabin and the leader, Father Floater, he will, he'll come over and grill big steaks and we'll nice. sit around a fire and just talk about the Lord, you know, and about mm -hmm. discipleship. And we teach soul winning too, you know, how to share, how to open up a conversation and, and uh, share Christ uh, with, uh, with people. Have we talked about that yet? Um, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> do you, when they, when you have them over to your cabin, do you just like pull out your phone and start looking at things just to like kind of <laughs> grill them a little bit? On yeah. Yeah. Just to, yeah. Just attempt them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, or do you just hey, like guys, put it on the laptop at the table and if somebody touches it, they're, they're out. Like that's <laughs> they're out. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah. Like a game of survivor. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, the, uh, two days ago I was with the guys at the beginning, the beginning of the year now. And I told them, I said, the Vikings beat the uh, Packers and none of them knew it on a Monday. <laughs> they didn't know it. That is intense. Wow. So, oh, wow. Okay. That's wow. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. We just did the, um, at, at our seminary, we began implementing this. And so, um, my pastor who is very big in the, he's a Focalarino. So the Cardinal tapped him for the summer program of the Propodeutics, um, to come to our area and so all the seminarians who were, you know, first year or pre-first year, they all came up to um, St. Anthony's in the Woodlands. We had a, a Airbnb that we rented out for them, and they did nothing but essentially they received retreat from morning till uh, late afternoon, and then they were brought on board. They did that for like four weeks, mm. um, different aspects of formation and and whatnot, and then and prayer and all that. And then in the afternoon and evenings, they participate in the life of the parish. So we did like vacation Bible school and they all came and uh, every single one of the guys we had, we have five, five or six guys come and every single one of them was just absolutely incredible. You know, I can't, I can't wait to see the priests that are coming out of our seminary with these, with these people. And, um, they were incredible. They, they dove immediately and some of them you know you can take the boy out of the seminary can't take the seminary of the boy and the, i let mm -hmm. him do opening prayer and he's like well you know uh aquinas once stated and then like 10 minutes later and the kids are just like eyes glazed over it. i was like <laughs> there it is there it is but uh it, it was it just is awesome because when we make when people how many people who are in seminary have could say this man or woman took the time to form me as a disciple of jesus right. christ Right. right. And, and tell me the truth. Yeah. Right. 
to right. tell me the truth, to tell me that when you become a priest, if, if the Lord has you to become a priest, you become a pastor, I'm telling you today, you need to teach those people how to read the Bible. You yeah. need to make sure every year you have a class, one day, one night, whatever it is, you do it yourself. You go there, you show them how to read the Bible, show them how to share it with their kids. I want you to, t I want to make sure that every person in your church knows the kerygma and they know what the proclamation is. And I'll just say to them, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> that's what, that's what you need. To, and they're like, it's almost like a football coach, you know? Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Yes, yes. Hire layperson to teach kerygma. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Uh -huh. I plan on working in a suburban parish. Yes. yes. And whatever you do, I say to him, do not adopt an English accent. Just talk the way you are. <laughs> uh, hither and yon, hither and yon. None of the ordinary is allowed there, I guess. Um, yeah. The Lord's, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about them. Oh, the, the people of Walsingham, you're, you're included. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, and uh, honestly, it is a, a mode of evangelization that I actually find the easiest and most human and most humane is when people suffer. Right. And yeah. when people are suffering, they are open, they are open to help. They are open. Their vulnerabilities are, um, you could say unmasked and revealed. Um, they, they are looking for for not just comfort, but they're looking for a peace, right? Mm -hmm. um, in the midst of the tribulation. And I don't, I don't know if you feel this way, but I kind of get this role assigned to me that I'm the crisis guy, that when people are having a crisis in their life, they come and talk to me and then it gets resolved, healed, fixed, whatever. And then I never hear from them again <laughs> until the next crisis. <laughs> I have friends, I, I swear. But uh, the one, so last year, one of the worst years in my own life and marriage, uh, we had three back-to-back -back miscarriages oh. and the last one almost took the uh, life of my wife. And it was, it was pretty, to hear that. it was pretty overwhelming in every which way. But for me, the overwhelming part was you don't get to experience stuff, shove it down. Cause you got to be good for your wife and your kids. And the, I don't know, it just, it just became incredibly difficult to deal with walking into church to do my, you know, I'm the director of evangelization and all I wanted to do was shut my door and turn the light off, you know? Sure. And a buddy of mine, the IT guy in our church, uh, Kevin, he's awesome. Such a good guy. He walked up to me and he's like, I want to tell you to get a book. It's a book that helped me when my wife died. And he said, it's called when we suffer by Jeff Cavins. And he's like, you got to get this book. So I bought the book immediately on Kindle before he left. I began mm -hmm. reading it. My wife began reading it. And now uh, in our latest clergy, we have a video series called Clergy Corner that Father David Huss does. And uh, he just recommended it. He had it with him. He, I had him buy it because, you know, we have some friends who are going through a lot. And he's like, can you give me a book that I can give someone who is going through a lot and someone who's supporting them? And I was like, yes, when we suffer, get that book, uh, put it in people's hands, you know. And so he immediately bought, of course, he, his office is a library, you know, it's like every, books are just everywhere. And uh He's a hoarder is what I'm trying to say. But uh, in that clergy <laughs> corner, he held up the book and he was like, read books like this. You need to be reading this to understand how to walk with Christ in the midst of the suffering. So um, I would just say, you know, what, what prompted you to write this book in particular? And you know, let's kind of go from there. Well, no, it's a good question. You know, what would prompt a guy to write a book on suffering? You know, yeah. well, I wanted to write a book on, you know, 10 steps to prosperity, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Hadn't, hadn't experienced that one yet, but, yeah. but on the suffering side, I, I did. I experienced some uh, serious suffering 
uh, life for me up until around 40 was just a charm. I mean, I, everything seemed to go my way and I didn't have any kind of suffering, whether it be physical really or, or anything. And, um, I mean, I had some discouragement in my life, but I didn't have any, any physical suffering until this thing with my neck jumped up. And I ended up with, make a long story short, a C6-7 in my neck they thought was bulging. Then it ended up, it actually split. And I ended up in emergency surgery. But it was a year before that that was just a year of uh, just unbelievable pain for a year. And, and I was doing Life on the Rock uh, EWTN at, at the mm. time. And, uh, and that was a lot to do, you know, to travel and to try to do that and to be in the midst of the, of the pain. And so... In trying to answer my own question about the meaning of suffering, which I think most most Catholics would say, well, I know that there's meaning in suffering, and some of them would even say, I know I'm supposed to kind of offer this up. I didn't know what that meant, really. Yeah. Even though, and this is interesting, I could probably put together a talk on it, you know, and say something about offer it up, and Saint so-and-so says this, and Saint so-and-so says this, and the Bible yeah. says, catechism says, but John Paul II said it so well. He said that you cannot teach suffering in the objective. In other words, you come to my class, you're not going to learn it. Mm. You'll learn about it, but you're not going to learn it. He said, it's a vocation, come follow me. And so it's in the following of Jesus, and it's in the entering into the sufferings of Christ with your suffering, that is the only way that you can that you can learn this. And so what I did is I just started studying a lot during that year, a lot, you know. I had my books out. Uh, Scott Hahn and I talked quite a bit on the phone about suffering, and, and I'm trying to get my mind around how do I actually offer this up, and what does it mean anyway? What value could this possibly have here is this god of of the universe the creator of the world who died for me and now what am i supposed to do you know and and there's this automatic assumption that if jesus died for you that means that there's really nothing you need to do just just collect you know on the benefits <laughs> and uh yeah. you know and that if i am having problems it must mean i don't have enough faith or i'm not exercising my faith properly and, and so the more I studied the, uh, the church's teaching and the saints, it became apparent that there was a dimension here that was much deeper than I had ever gone to before. And it really started with Colossians 1.24, which says, uh, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and I fill up in my body that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Well, when you really listen to that, that should shake people up a little bit. Yeah. You know, when you find out that Paul says, uh, I rejoice in my in my suffering for your sake, and I'm filling up that which is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. I would have never put the word lacking together with right. sufferings of Christ, right. but Paul did. So the question is, well, what could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? And St. Augustine uh, said, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ is the participation of the mystical body of mm -hmm. Christ. And then Pope John Paul II, he asked the same question in his document uh, on human suffering called Salvifici Dolores. He said, what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ? He said, nothing, but that you might come to know the love of God. He has made room in his suffering for you to participate. So in other words, if I can take my suffering 
and I can offer it up in union with Jesus, what Pope John Paul II is saying is that in that experience, you're going to have an opportunity to actually come into contact with and taste and see and feel and experience the love of God. And because the love of the love of God involved suffering, he died for you. And everyone wants to know, oh, I want to know the love of God, but not with a cross. Not mm-hmm. with a cross. You know, at least if it's a cross, I want it to be 24 karat. But <laughs> and so what they're saying is, I want to know intimately the love of God, but I want to avoid the cross completely, to which the church would say, sorry. Yeah, the two kind of go hand in, in hand. Yeah. And so when I finally got a hold of that and understood it, and I did it, mm-hmm. uh, one night I was, I was in so much pain, and I got up at about two in the morning, and my wife said, where are you going? I said, I'm going downstairs. I said, I can't take this anymore. I can't take it anymore. I went downstairs, and I'll be honest with you, I just started weeping. Yeah. I just sat down, and I held my arm, so much pain, and I just started weeping. I said, I can't do this. I said, and I, I yelled, I said, Lord, what do I do? How do I offer this up? And I'm looking for the typical, there's got to be a novena. There's got to be Latin in here somewhere. You know, there's got to be a special type of cross with a saint that has this symbol, you know, everything. And I heard the words in my heart and it was so simple. And I felt like that was the Lord saying to me. And when I asked, how do I offer it up? The Lord said, just do it. And, um, and by the way, it was during that time that Nike took that from me, by the way. Oh, that's I'm rough. in litigation with them right now. Good, that, but good. You hold their feet to the flame. Just do it. So you know what I did? Mm. I went upstairs. My two daughters, uh, I have three daughters. Two of them were sleeping in the same room, bunk beds. Jackie was on the bottom. I walked over to her bed and I knelt down next to her and she won't wake up for anything, trust me. <laughs> and I ha- held my arm And I looked at her and I just raised my other arm up to the Lord. And I said, Lord, for her, for her, I I offer up my suffering for my daughter. Lord Jesus, I want to participate with you. I will be a part of your cross. I'll pick up my cross and I will follow you. I said, for her, for her. And my head went down next to her on the pillow. And guys, I just started weeping. I just started weeping. I just said, for her, for her. And, and in the midst of that, something began to well up inside of me, this incredible joy that I had never experienced in my entire life rose up inside of me. And I realized I was experiencing the love of God. And I didn't want it to end. I didn't want it to end. You know, and before that, Maybe you guys have had the same experience. I would listen to the saints, you know, and the saints would say these things that this former Protestant pastor just didn't agree with. And that was, mm. you know, oh Lord, how much I love you that you've allowed me to share in your suffering, to which I was yeah. like, gag me. Yeah. You know, what? And once I did it, I understood. Mm. And and I wish I could put that in a book or a pill form, or I, I wish you could get yeah. in a line and I could just say, here, taste this, but I can't do it for anyone. Neither can you guys, but I can tell you what to do and then let, let God help you in experiencing his love. And so beautiful thing is, is that a, as a man of God, I know what to do with my suffering now. And I, I, yeah. I, and I know that suffering isn't an 
opportunity to put all the focus on me and hey look at me and I, oh, I can't do this i can't do that but it's to love like jesus loved and to deal with my suffering the way he dealt with it and i'm gradually becoming i hope hopefully more like him you know in that but it's a secret it's like it's like this mystery is revealed now and you you know it's like that old saying you can you can lead a horse to the water but you can't make him drink you and i can teach all, all of us can teach yeah people about suffering all day long but unless they enter into it themselves it's it's just another teaching yep i think this is so important specifically in this day and age that maybe we wouldn't even have seen in an evangelization conversation 20 years ago because Mm -hmm. it it just seems like everywhere we go people are suffering everywhere i turn people are deeply suffering carrying things that they shouldn't have to carry and And we have a chance to suffer with them and to accompany them in that suffering. And I think that the fields are white with harvest when it comes to that, you know, that people are maybe not looking for someone to walk with them, but they certainly are looking for meaning in this. And if we can provide not just a teaching, but if we can provide a companion and then show them the meaning, I I have found it to be very, I, I I think the most fruitful evangelization I've had um, has been those who are deeply, deeply suffering. Mm-hmm. It's true. And you become a real gift to people who are suffering because most people, the big question they have is, what's the point? You know, what? Yeah. Why? I don't understand. Why, why? why me? Why yeah. me? Why? If Jesus died for me and he loves me, why would I be experiencing this in my life? And, it, and it's kind of interesting because he loves you so much that he's going to allow you to experience his love. And that is going to be very, very valuable uh, yeah. to you. So when I go to hospitals or I meet with people, I typically will talk to them about how they can make the most of this. And I even had some people that said to me one time, I said, when I go to the hospital and I'm sitting next to the bed and talking to this friend, I will teach them how to offer this up in union with Christ. And as somebody said to me, oh, that's so mean. They need to be comforted. And and what I said to him was, don't you realize to be comforted is to experience Jesus? This is Mm -hmm. the comfort. And I don't want to get into, and I know you guys don't want to either, I don't want to get into what I would call hallmark theology, you know? Yeah. Uh, what saw their father dies and I come in and say, well, you know, the Lord picks the prettiest flowers first. You know, what god needed his angels you know yes yes like i can understand trying to comfort someone with you know you have two seconds with him and you want to give him a but it it falls so cheaply you know when you hear that especially because no one knows what else to say so they say that same thing and then you're like well why can't i have my angel back you know and i've i've been a part of that the angsty side of cheap wisdom, you know, yeah, where people are, they just, people who are truly suffering, they're, they have very little place for platitudes like that. Right. No, you're, you're exactly, you're exactly right. You know, for us as Christians to be able to come to know the love of God with our life and our suffering is very, very valuable. And, and Jesus was in, incredibly straightforward about this. He said, yeah. if you want to be my disciple, then pick up your cross and follow me well why because this is the way you're going to come to know me and you're going to be my disciple you know and everything that jesus did i was just in tulsa oklahoma this last week hometown and and i I was in tulsa 
I do too. I do too. And you know, it's the home of uh, of the Word of Faith movement, and oh, the, yeah. you know, kind of the name it, claim it, Hagen oh, and yeah. Copeland and everything. Yeah, sure. And uh, Rama Bible College was yeah a mile and a half away from my home. Was it really? Were you up mm-hmm. by Broken Arrow? Yeah, oh. I was in Broken Arrow. Oh, in Broken Arrow. Uh, I mean, broken the fact era, that you know that is broken clear. era. <laughs> broken, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> well, you know, the thing about that is, okay, let's look at it. And I, I said this to him, you've got two ways of looking at the work of Christ. Okay. The word of faith people would say he is the, the one intercessor between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. He is the, the, uh, the, the great healer. Amen. He's the great shepherd. Amen. He's the one who suffered for the sins of the world. Amen. He's the one who died for the sins of the world. Amen. So they would say that, and you and I would agree with them. Yeah. But what they would say, what they would say is that, well, then what's our role in our relationship to Jesus, who, who, who does all these unique things? They would say that the answer is, and our relationship is, that we are the benefactors. I receive, 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 and it's all good, by the way. And it's all healthy and wealthy and, and everything. Yeah. But the problem is, is that you have to then ignore at least a dozen very straightforward scriptures mm-hmm. where Peter says, if you want to share in the glory of God, you got to share in his suffering as well. Well, you can't have, the both aren't fun, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so the Catholic position is, is that, Yes, we believe that he's the one intercessor, but he shares that intercessory role with his body. We believe he's the great shepherd, but he shares that role with his body. He is the great high priest, but he shares that gift of the priesthood with his church. And, And so when you come to suffering, he suffered for the sins of the world, but he shares that with his body. And it gets even better, according to Fulton Sheen. He died for the world and guess what? You get to die too, you know. <laughs> and and like it gets better. And 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 they, they, you know nobody's nobody's out there saying that they're never going to die, you know that yeah. we 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 will die and we die to our ourselves. But I love what Fulton Sheen said. He said the biggest fear in the world is the fear of dying. And he said, "You know what? You know how to deal with it? Practice for it." Oh, I love I him love so much. He said, practice for it. Die daily. You know, Paul says, I die daily. Start dying to yourself. Live for Christ. Live for other people. And your your fear of death starts to just kind of slough slough off. And then he said one 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 phrase that has been such a blessing in my life. He said, The people who fear dying the most are those who only die once. Mm the final one that those are the they've never died to themselves they've yeah. never practiced they've been in fear of this their whole life and they just died boom once they're the most fearful yeah yeah you know i it's not it's not necessarily just the word of faith movement it's like um i i see a lot of this seeping into catholic oh, yeah. speakers and theology there is there's a hint of a health and wealth thing going on now it seems is there yeah, and it's like I, I recently was listening to somebody talk about a tithing, and they and the entire talk on tithing was the more that they give, the more that God gave them, and it was like I was waiting for him to end and be like, send a dollar to my ministry, and God's going to send you a thousand, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was well meaning, absolutely well meaning, sure. but uh, but the whole time I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, that's 
it's not really, you know, that's not always the case. Right. And, and it's not the spirit behind it, but I think we have to be really careful anytime we start to mess with the message of the cross. I think we have to be really bottom line is that every single thing that Jesus did in his messianic mission, he shares with his body, the church, there's nothing he withholds. There's Mm -hmm. nothing that is, that is so uniquely his that we will not experience it. He shares everything with us. And this was the big lie in the Garden of Eden, you know, when when God said, you can freely eat of any of the trees, but that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you sh- shall not eat of it. If, if you eat of it, you'll die. And the serpent said, he challenged Eve, Adam and Eve, and said, did God say? And they said, yeah, we can't even touch it. And then the enemy brings out the lie. He said, he said listen, you know, God knows that in the day that you eat it, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want that. And, and this is the complete opposite. He wants us to be like him. And that's why we are totally, you know, obedient to him. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was uh, counseling a couple who wanted to get, the wife wanted to get her marriage convalidated in the church. Uh, she had recently come back to faith in Christ. She met this wonderful, devout, faithful Christian whose whole life was Christ, but he was a total prosperity gospel word of faith dude. And he refused to say the vows at the convalidation because he didn't want his word of faith manifesting poverty, sickness, and for worse. (laughs) He refused to say the words. And I said, listen, listen. And it was, I have never been more impatient with a human being trying (laughs) that I was actively trying to evangelize. But I was like, listen. We aren't saying you're going to make yourself, Jesus is going to make you sick and, you know, all this stuff. I said, what we're saying is, come what may, you mm. promise to be faithful, whether it's sickness. And he's like, I'm not going to say it. It's going to make it manifest. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is now witchcraft. We have left Christianity. Yeah. We are right. living in the witchcraft world. Let right. me get you a manifestation journal that you can get from Target. Good Lord, it is awful. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, the the it, guy it who gave me who told me to read the the book, your book, um, when we suffer, he said uh, the thing, the phrase that I heard my whole life was "offer it up," and he said he had strayed a little bit f- uh, from his Catholic faith, and you know through the suffering he was kind of coming back, trying to make sense of it all. He said, but if you, you know, if anyone reads this book, and you know, if you get nothing else out of it, you will understand what it means to offer it up. And I'm glad that that's very incredibly like that's right where you went with the uh, with your story and explaining it. Like that's that was his heart and soul, right? Just yeah, offer yeah. my suffering up. Yeah, I want to walk with Jesus. I want to love like Jesus, and uh, and this is a way that that one of the ways that that, that I can do it. You know, is mm-hmm. to is to love like he loves. And when you do that, you know, perfect love. The Bible says, perfect love casts out fear. If you can learn to love. And you the, and you're not afraid of suffering because you know what to do with it. That there's actually meaning in it. Yeah. You're free. You're free. You know. It's yeah. Whatever. Whatever life brings yeah. me. I, you know. I'm. I'm. I'm all right. I'm all right yeah. with it. So yeah, I, it's like I, that I, line about um, Father Mike Scanlon says about uh, the reason why I fell in love with um, Saint Francis of Assisi. I, I come back to this line all the time. Kind of haunts me, but he said. Uh, you know, if he stole his food, he fasted. If you beat him, he rejoiced he could suffer for the sake of Christ. And if you killed him, he became a martyr. By loving Christ, St. Francis of Assisi became untouchable by this world. Yeah. And you're like, okay, okay. Now, I know, I know that if I'm going to enter into the resurrection like his, I have to participate in uh, sufferings like his, but I don't want to. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And I know that every evangelist who has ever converted like quote unquote impossible cases, whenever you read their stories, it's often through painful suffering that has nothing to do with the person, but they're more or less offering it up for them. But I don't want right. to, I don't want to do right. any of this. I don't want to suffer. I don't want any of this, but I know that that's the path. Like this one Indian preacher had this great line where he said, you Americans are so deluded in your Christian in your false Christian thinking. He said, you think in order to become fam- in order to have a big impact, I have to become famous. Yeah. And he said, you're totally wrong. In order to have the biggest impact, you got to become as small and hidden as possible. As long as you're hidden in Christ. I love it. Right. And I just like, yeah, but I also want to make money off of this. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> there's all these conflicting, right? Right. You know, when, yeah. when the lay apostolate becomes the J O B. So how do we do this? How, how do we, you know, kind of, and then, and then we'll throw it out to a commercial break, but how do we, uh, how do we do this? How do we enter into this, this cruciform life? Well, I think it starts with the shape of your day. You can talk about cruciform life. Um, you starts with the shape of your day and and uh, and your relationship with the Lord. If you have a personal relationship with theology, then you're just going to be uh, a, you know alive when you're studying. Yeah. But if you have a, a relationship with Jesus, it starts in the morning, and then all day long you don't lose track of that. You are always open to talking to people or praying for people or the Lord you know, kind of imparting something to you and ministering to you as as well, followed at the end of the day with the examine prayer where we look back at my day and it's like Jesus put a, you know, a GoPro camera on my forehead at the end of the day, say, let's take a back, let's let's look back here on this and- (laughs) Check out the footage. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to look back at that. No, 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 we need to. Well, can you cut out that meeting I had at two? I don't really want to go through that one again. And you, you, I think that the way that you, you do it is that you try with all of your heart to live the life of Christ, not study about the life of Christ, but you try to live the life of Christ throughout, throughout the day with every person that you meet, the way you speak to them and, and what you laugh at and don't laugh at and, and your sensitivity over time to the Holy Spirit opening up doors for you to to talk to somebody, and then just being straightforward with them. You, you talk to people the way you would if Jesus were standing next to you, you know, that you would, t- you would introduce someone to. I mean, you don't have to say, you see this guy next to me. You don't think you're going to sound weird, but. Um, <laughs> Hello, this is my <laughs> puppet friend. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yes, he's been on America's Got Talent. <laughs> All right, we're going to throw it out to a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we got more Jeff. But, good folks, what I want you to do is text 33777 to, uh, oh gosh, what do we text that to? No, you text EKSB to 33777. That'll get you signed up on our email list. Because we are now a seasonal show, we want to keep you updated with all of our uh, comings and goings and all that good stuff. So that's EKSB at 33777. Text that, and you'll get on our email list. We'll be right back. The most important person ever to walk the face of the earth. The source and summit of all things Catholic. But do we really know him? Hi, I'm Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio, sometimes known as Dr. Italy. For 30 years, I've taught about Jesus in Catholic University classrooms, on TV, and on radio. And I've been surprised at how Catholics, fascinated with so many of the unique features of the rich Catholic tradition, seem to take for granted the very basis of it all the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Some other Catholic Bible teachers I know have noticed the very same problem. So Jeff Cavins, Dr. Edward Stree, and I decided to collaborate on a groundbreaking study that would focus simply on the life and teaching of Jesus Christ, filmed on location in the land where it all happened. Those who take this journey with us will learn amazing new things about the gospel stories they thought they knew so well, about his family, his friends, his enemies, his miracles. But even more importantly, they will come to know Jesus in a new and astonishing way that will make a surprising difference in their everyday lives. This study, Jesus, the Way, the Truth, and the Life, helps you learn with all your senses. The videos filmed on site in the Holy Land will change the way you visualize the gospel stories. The study guide includes gorgeous images, provocative quotes, illuminating maps, and challenging questions. The book that accompanies the study will have you riveted all the way to the end. Order the study pack now at ascensionpress.com forward slash Jesus and get immediate at-home access to the videos and the study guide while the printed components are shipped to you. Again, you can order Jesus the Way, the Truth, and the Life at ascensionpress.com forward slash Jesus. You'll be glad you did. Your life will never be the same. Well, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow. We're chatting with Jeff Cavins here. I hope you had a chance to hear about one of the fine offerings from our friends at Ascension Press. We love being a part of the Ascension Press community. And I know that uh, if you're anything like me, you've benefited a lot from their studies, one of which both Gomer and I, when we were really young, benefited from, and that's the Bible timeline, which is, I don't know. I mean, when was the first Bible timeline? I did, my, I did in eighth grade. My eighth grade theology class was the Bible timeline, and I'm 39 now, so I'm an old man, I feel like. But well, You know, I think the first time we did it, the first time I, well, I, I did it as a, before I came into the Catholic Church, but there was only 66 books instead of 73. <laughs> oh, sorry, Maccabees. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry, about 400 years of silence. <laughs> yeah. I called it that. I actually called it 400 years of silence before the New Testament. That's but when I first came back, the first time I taught it as a Catholic was in my class at Steubenville. I taught Introduction to Scripture, okay. and I taught that as the class. And then I did a, a recording of it for St. Joseph Communications. Okay. And then Scott Hahn and I did Our Father's Plan, which used the Great Adventure. That's what the, it was. Our Father's yes. Plan. That's one, yeah. Is that the one with the colored pencils? You had to use colored yeah. pencils and fill yeah, it. Right. That's what, yeah. Right. Yeah, I had people actually coloring and everything. It was a lot of fun. And and then Matt Pinto and I got together and he was watching me do the seminar, a weekend seminar in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And he's in the back. You know Matt. Matt was in the back. He was writing on a on a legal pad and he wrote about 12 pages of notes. And I thought he was taking notes on what I was talking. He wasn't. <laughs> he was taking notes about what we could do with this. With this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it just exploded um, nice. after that. Yeah, that's nice. awesome. It's you know, it's like I, I, a theme that keeps coming back for me lately is just that we really got to get back. Yeah, you mentioned it earlier in the show. Got to get back to just scripture. Like scripture just organically makes disciples often, and I think like we 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 kind of tend to like think that if we do a study, like a really in depth study, that that's that's what it means by doing scripture. But really, just like getting exposed to the entirety of the salvation story is so so important so i uh i just think you know it's it's important that we keep coming back to this mm-hmm. uh, no i totally agree with you it'd be like 
it'd be like wanting to be a professional basketball player and uh Michael Jordan chose you to uh, to come to his camp and then he wrote you 35 letters about right. what's important in becoming a professional basketball player and then somebody else says well I want to be a professional basketball player say so, well then you need to read what what Michael Jordan wrote to me so ah, I don't have time I'm not sure I'm going to understand it <laughs> what? Right. I'm, you're kidding me? You know, you got to start reading Michael's letters if you want to be an NBA player. Yeah. Awesome. The letters of Michael. I like yeah. that. That's my new book. Uh, Third letter from Michael. <laughs> practice, practice, practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the beautiful gift of evangelization. Um, I think we we overcompliment it as a as an escape route to our pride. We don't want to share. We don't want to be humiliated. But that's what we need. We need to share, and we need to be yeah. humiliated. What better way than than inviting people into a relationship with Christ? But let me ask you guys a quick yeah. question, uh, Gomer. How how are you? I know you guys are big into evangelization. How's it going in prison ministry? Well, uh, okay. So his here's, cellmate is wonderful. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My cellmate is he's very caring. Uh, <laughs> no, the uh, so it was shut down, and then. Um, Kind of had a little problem in kicking off one of the retreats post COVID, first retreat post COVID, uh, diocesan issues shut it down the day before. And so a lot of men missed out on this. But what we were able to do, kind of in lieu of that, was we just did a glorify event, which is essentially like praise and worship and two talks based on the gospel. Mm -hmm. And it was our first big event back in the, um, in the prison, in the Ferguson unit. And we filled the chapel. And I had been praying for weeks. I had been going to confession for weeks just to give these talks. And I, I haven't seen these guys in three years or two and a half years. Oh, wow. And so I'm preparing myself in a way that I have never prepared myself beforehand in terms of intercessory prayer and sacramental life and all this stuff. And, um, you know, my buddy Josh Blakesley, he came with his band and Jerry, of course, whom you know that we, uh, who runs the thing, we all just, we gave it our all, right? And I would say that it was the most powerful experience that those guys have had to the point where Jerry said this great line. He said, uh, you know, the, the bosses that sit in the back. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like the cell bosses, the guys that run the cell blocks, they sit in the back with their arms on the backs of the chair and they're talking the whole time. And people are constantly coming and talking to them and they're shifting product or they're doing whatever they're doing, making plans, running schemes. Uh, and I was like, is that what those guys are doing? I just thought they were bored of hearing me talk. And he's like, no, this is a venue where they can go across multiple cell blocks and coordinate things to do. And I'm like, I had no idea. He said, not a single one of them conducted business. They all sat there and during the music they sang, during the prayer they prayed, and during the talks they listened. Wow. And he said, We've never, we've never had that. And um, to this day, they still they have uh, dozens of new men that have requested to go on the different retreats and the different um, things to participate in because they said they're, it, it was, it was a life-changing thing. So well, for people uh, who don't know you, I, uh, in, I know that you do incredible work with uh, the inmates and Ferguson is not your, your, your County jail. It is. Ferguson yeah, is uh, the, the, the source of a lot of documentaries. It's a tough, tough place. I got to go there with Jerry and boy, I have a lot of respect for the work you guys do and, and to keep it up. It's an inspiration to me to know what you guys do. Yeah, Jerry, Jerry is a force of nature. When when the good Lord moves on him, uh, you know, the stuff that he's done in the 
in the prisons and taking people back to hear, like when he takes our priests back to hear confessions, right? Yeah. You hear conversions, right? You don't hear confessions because no one cares about these men. They're they're they've done mm. wicked deeds and they're thrown into a dark hole. I mean, they're in solitary confinement for decades, not days. Yep. Yeah. And uh, then when I went there, I was meeting with MS thirteen gang members. And yeah. Just what? unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And to hear their confessions and for them to to beg humbly to receive our Lord in the Eucharist to have wardens that are open to what the Holy spirit is doing. Because mm -hmm. one of the things they find is that Catholic conversions lead to less recidivism than once saved, always saved conversions on these. Really? Interesting. Yeah. The, the, well, it was, uh, two wardens ago had shared that, or maybe, maybe it was more than that, but, um, had shared that stat with us that they're finding that because <laughs> people who justify their actions with once save, always save. We always talk about like as Catholics and Protestants and like apologetics arguments, well, you can do whatever you want. You go to confession on Saturday and you can receive communion. Oh, well you do whatever you want. You have once save, always save. But they said that, you know, whatever <laughs> piecemeal understanding they get in prison, the once saved, always saved yeah. is like everything that's preached in, in, in these crusade type events. So they have guys yeah. that Oh no, I'm saved. I can do, I can well, I'll never forget I it. I, you know, Jerry, it, they told me beforehand that I had to wear a, a stab vest. <laughs> yeah. A stab proof. I had to wear a mask <laughs> so it wasn't spit on yeah. and I was going to be going back there to these guys in solitary and to receive the Eucharist, the Lord goes through like a half an inch little piece of metal to get yeah. to them and, and to be able to talk a foot away from each other and to tell them, I love you. You're my brother. See yeah. that Bible? Get into that Bible. God wants to speak to you. And to have that kind of uh, yeah. exchange with these guys was, wow. That I felt like this is what the Lord is talking about, you know? Yeah. These yeah. guys are open. They're open to it. They are. The hard part is getting the patent. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> ah, right. Very small. Very, very, very small. tiny patent. Very tiny. Mm -hmm. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for talking about what you're doing. School of Evangelization. If people want to find out more about um, School of Evangelization or School of Discipleship, sorry. Sure. Uh, I got another business thing. Um, no. Uh, if people want to do that, what, what, how can they find out sure. more? If they want well, to be a part at, of the, at the seminary, it's cistudent.com, cistudent.com at the seminary. And then my regular website, just jeffcavens.com, and that has a list of uh, my show with Ascension also, the Jeff Cavens Show. And, uh, and then every day I do the hallow app with Jesus, AKA Jonathan Rumi. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that one's at hallow, hallow.com forward slash Jeff Cavins. And uh, I think nice. they'll even give you three months free, but, yeah. but it's been uh, good. And it's ni nice to be able to work with you guys at Ascension. They, they're doing such incredible things these days. And I'm just so impressed at the, the quality of uh, people working at Ascension. Yeah. All right, y'all, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your seasonal Catholic podcast on evangelization. Uh, this is Gomer saying adios, and we will catch you later with yet another awesome interview show. God bless. <laughs>